So today we'll continue uh, our discussion of meditation. Yesterday we talked kind of about the philosophy of meditation and, and what our objective was. And it can be useful for us to, um, to have a clear approach to, um, to our meditation practice. So um, it can, it's useful if we're really serious about this awakening process, about allowing, allowing ourselves to come back into this experience of our true nature, of allowing ultimate reality to have its way through us to express fully. Uh, and we can treat this process with uh, respect. We can make it special, make it important. And we do that by uh, the way that we approach our meditation practice. So it's recommended that we have uh, a special place to meditate, the place that we always go to meditate, uh, whether it's uh, a corner of a room, a closet, uh, a whole room by itself. Um, and and it can be useful to have a small altar. It doesn't have to be big, but just a little a little space where we can have uh, some I, some icons, some religious connection, some places, some things, a picture of our guru or a saint, something that helps to remind us of our spiritual connection. And as we approach this, as we prepare for our meditation practice, we can uh, think of this as, as, a, as a divine connection, a divine meeting. And so if you were invited to come uh, have a person-to-person -person conversation with God, assuming that God was a personality, and you had the invitation, you would show up uh, with, you know, having a clean, having taken a shower, having clean clothes, having some respect, you know. And so in the same way, we can have a respect for ourself and our practice by making sure that we're awake and that we're clean and that we're, you know, wearing some clean clothes and and so that we approach this process with respect and uh, and make a little ritual out of it. The ritual is that we're all prepared. And then as we sit to meditate, uh, we can use a chair or the floor, however we're comfortable. Um, you don't get extra points for sitting on the floor like a yogi. Um, uh, so, so we just want to find a position that we can be in where we can be comfortable, attentive, upright, and where the body is not um, distracting us. So finding the appropriate chair for our meditation can be useful. And I remember Roy mentioning several times that he said, if you're going to, if you're serious about this, you're going to show up for your meditation practice once or twice a day for the rest of your life. And so it might be a good idea to go find a chair that's the right chair to meditate in. Feels good, that's the right height, comfortable supportive and so uh and so that can be useful you know uh and at least we want to have a chair that is comfortable for us without being distracting now most chairs are built with a seat slightly tilted back toward the back of the chair about a 10 to 15 degree angle and uh, this allows us to sit comfortably with our back resting up against the back of the chair but that's not particularly useful for meditation. So if we have a chair that tends to push us back into the back of the chair, we can sit out on the edge of the chair and sort toward the, toward the front of the seat instead of all the way back. 
And in this way, we can stay attentive. We don't want to be rigid, but we want to be attentive. We want the spine to be straight, you know, focused. And, and we, if we assume the spine is like a pole and the head is resting on the top of that, if it's straight, the head balances very easily. If it's curved, if we're slouched down in a chair, it actually takes muscles to hold the, the head up and those muscles can get tired. And, and so we have to move and shift around and the muscles in our back cause us to move. And so we're distracted. So this is why they recommend, the yogis recommend that we find a position where we can be upright, attentive, relaxed, but attentive, you see. So, um, and so we find a chair and if we, if we have a chair that's suitable, but it's just a little bit too low, so we find that our knees are being pushed up. And if our knees are pushed up, this is gonna push us back into the back of the chair again. So if that's the case, we can just simply cross our ankles. And if you cross your ankles so that your the tops of your thighs are parallel to the ground, this helps to make a stable base. Uh, if you find that your chair is a little bit too high so that your legs are dangling off and that's uncomfortable, you can just put a pillow underneath your feet to raise them up just slightly so that you get yourself adjusted to a position where you can be comfortable because uh, you want to be able to sit for half an hour or an hour uh, without the body being a distraction. So this can be useful. So we find a, a comfortable chair and we have it in a place that's the same place that we meditate every day and this creates a, a little space psychologically when we prepare for our meditation and we're moving toward the time to practice and that space psychologically we already begin to to prepare ourselves on a subtle level we already sort of move into that uh, resonance attunement with our meditation practice so that's a help that can that can be useful um, and then it's useful to uh to create a schedule where we're doing this at the same time every day so we have a, a routine where we have an appointment. It's a divine appointment. We're having an appointment with God, with our higher self. And so, so we create a time that's convenient for us. And, you know, with exceptions, there's always, you know, things that come up. But uh, for the most part, we, we meet our schedule. We are, we're there for our meeting on time every single day. And whatever time that is, that's good for us. You know, there's no, uh, there's no special magic in the time. It is recommended, the yogis recommend that we meditate uh, at, the, at the transition time between dark and light. So the time when the sun is coming up at, at dawn and the time when the sun is going down at dusk because there is a transition in energy that's happening. And there is, it's just like when we're breathing out, there's a little space, a little pause and in that transition between exhalation and inhalation, there's kind of a little opening, an opportunity for the mind to be a little bit more clear. In the same way, at the time when, when day becomes night and the transition between night and day, there is, a, there is a, a neutral point there where the energies are kind of balanced and it can be easier to go deeper in meditation. So this is, this is very subtle and um, it's one of those things where it, you know, it's, it can be useful and kind of fun to, to play along with that. But also we don't want to become too obsessed. So 
look for a time that works for you. And um, I remember someone years and years ago saying some of these subtle things, they have an influence and they're very subtle and we don't notice them. And, and so uh, and it's not until we're really become tuned in to the point where we can really notice them and see this, these subtle influences. And at that point, we don't need them anymore. So, so it's like, it's still a good idea to work in harmony with these processes as much as possible. They do have an influence, they do have an effect, even if we're not particularly noticing it in the moment, uh, over time, there's like a cumulative effect and, and it can be helpful. Uh, and it's recommended if we're meditating once a day, uh, if possible, to, to meditate in the morning. So we get up in the morning just before sunrise, uh, have a chance to um, prepare ourselves and sit down so that we can meditate, um, you know, 630, whatever, whatever time where you are um, uh, is the sunrise time. So. So this is uh, useful, and Mr. Davis recommended this strongly early in the morning. And uh, some people say, well, I just can't. I've got too much to do early in the morning. I've got to get the kids ready for school. I have to get ready for work and this and that. And so he would say, um, just get up a little bit earlier. And if you, if you need to get up a little bit earlier, it means you can go to bed a little bit earlier. So... Uh, once again, in Ayurveda, we're rec it's recommended that we go to bed by 10 o'clock, before 10 o'clock, go to sleep at 10, by 10 o'clock. And this is because another there is another subtle energetic shift that takes place at 10 o'clock, and the, the pitta energy, the, the fire energy, starts to move once again, starts to become active. And when this starts to become active, the mind sort of turns on and we become, it's what, what most people experience as a second wind. It's like all of a sudden I was kind of drowsy a little bit, but I stayed up and I was watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And then the next thing I knew I was getting a little hungry and, uh, you know, and then I'm watching news. And the next thing I know it's one o'clock in the morning because I got this, because this pitta kicks in. And when the pitta kicks in, uh, then the, then the digestive fires start up again, and then we have this need for a little snack, and and we we go back to work or get back on YouTube or something, and and the next thing we know, a couple of hours have gone by, and now it's really late, so we drag ourselves off to sleep, and then we can't get up in the morning to meditate because we need to get our good eight hours of sleep, and so so the discipline is to say, okay, there's nothing going on after nine thirty that is important enough to stand in the way of my own health and well-being and my spiritual progress. So if you can just, uh, you know, sit down and make a list of all those things that you're doing after 930 that are more important than your health, because, because your physical health is also directly related to moving in harmony with life cycles. And it's, and it's directly related to getting enough sleep. So the tendency, if we stay up to, um, you know, this is more than just meditation. This is this is the science of well-being. So we want to get enough sleep, and in order to get enough sleep and to do our meditation and to have a start the day bright and awake, um, it's useful for us to set that earlier bedtime. So if possible, you know, we do that, 
and and of course there can be a there's a, a, a huge temptation these days to be stuck on our tablets and our phones and our computers and you know looking at all the last minute news on facebook and you know whatever's <laughs> whatever's coming up and there's always something it's a constant flow of information and this constant flow of information it, it does it it does a little trick in the brain and it turns on a dopamine response now dopamine is a thing that's it's a drug it's something that makes us feel good so the anticipation the expectation of some input something useful produces a little dopamine so we have this anticipation and we feel good it's like the excitement that we have when we're going to take a trip or when we anticipate you know mom just cooked a big chocolate cake and right after dinner we get to have the chocolate cake for dessert and the anticipation creates dopamine and we feel good and we're excited and we're up oftentimes the the anticipation of what we're doing this dopamine rush is more feels better than the actual thing that we do so we can't wait to go to the mall and go shopping today and we're all we're getting ready for it and we're excited and dopamine's flowing and we get to the mall and after a little while we're kind of dragging around there's a lot of people and you know we get tired and being at the mall wasn't nearly as important or nearly as uh, fulfilling as the idea of going to the mall and the and the response so so all this information that's coming into us and what's happening next on the news and what are we missing out? The anticipation of this creates a dopamine response. This is a drug. And so we become addicted. The mind, the, the mind brain becomes addicted to a flow of information, to a, to a steady stream of images and stuff. And so this comes and this comes and we can just ask ourselves, you know, how easy is it for me to unplug my computer or my tablet or my phone and leave it off for a whole day? I mean, a whole day. Nobody can call, no email, no checking what's happening in the world. Just one day. Just ask yourself, how does it feel if I just think about actually unplugging, completely unplugging for a day? How does that feel? And if the feeling is anxiety and, you know, I'm not really not comfortable with that, that's not an easy thing to do. Then we can ask ourselves, well, maybe there's a little, little addiction going on there. Maybe I'm being controlled somewhat by this, you know, information highway that we're into. So, so it's just useful to, to know these things about ourselves, to look and see what's happening and look and see, what outside of ourselves we allow to control us, to possess us. Because these addictions, these habits, these things are, they actually are possessions. They actually have their own entity inside of our mind and they are directing us in one direction or another. And so we say, well, I'm, I'm gonna be, I don't wanna be possessed. I'm gonna de be depossessed, unpossessed. So, so the only way we can do that is to notice what's happening and then take appropriate action when we see. So, so our meditation practice, we, we have a place to sit. We have a time that's set up that's appropriate. Um, we sit down and be comfortable. And then we can begin a little, our little ritual before we actually formally meditate. We can say a prayer. 
We can say a prayer to our guru. We can say a prayer to God, to ultimate reality, or we can say a prayer to some aspect of God. Now, there is only ultimate reality, but some individuals, you know, sometimes it can be challenging to have a direct personal relationship, a feeling relationship with, uh, with this, you know, unformed ultimate reality. It doesn't have a personality. It doesn't have a easy place to plug into, you know, conceptually. And so, so uh, you know, ancient, ancient times, the wise ones figured out that we can uh, have access to ultimate reality by um, directly communicating with some aspect of it. So we say, okay, well, what is an aspect of ultimate reality? Well, it's nurturing and supportive. That, that there really is, it does really take care of us. It's, it's inherent within itself. The intelligence and the order of it emerges and it takes care of itself and we're part of itself. So it has a nurturing, supportive, caring aspect like a mother. And so, and so they would relate to this aspect of ultimate reality as divine mother or Lakshmi. Lakshmi is, is, uh, it's the goddess which supports and nurtures and gives, you know, which is the goddess of prosperity. And so we can say, okay, well, I understand. I know that divine mother is really an aspect of this ultimate reality, but I, it's something I can touch. I can make contact with. And so I can have a little prayer. I say divine mother, you know, and so, so in one level, I know that I'm talking to my own higher self. On the other level, it gives me a connection, a point to connect with. And so, and so that can be useful. And there are, you know, there are many different icons. It, it doesn't really matter. None of them are better than the other ones. They just matters what resonates with us, see, what, what feels right. And so some in the, in the Hindu pantheon, we have several, we have uh, Ram and Shiva and Ganesh and Lakshmi and Saraswati and and each one has its own characteristics is representing its own aspect of this expre whole expressive reality. So so we find one that that if we like you know if this if this feels good to us we find one that we resonate with and we kind of develop a relationship so that we have a place you know something that we can hang out with that we can talk to. Um, and so this can be useful. And so and if that's uh, if that's something that that feels good for you, you can you know like I say choose um, Shiva. Shiva is the is the god of creation and destruction, the god of transformation. And so we see the picture of Shiva, the Nataraj, dancing with four arms, and he's he's standing on the the demon of ignorance, dancing on the demon of ignorance. And one hand has the rattle, the drum, and the drum is the drum that creates the vibration that manifests all creation. And the other hand, he has the flame, the flame of, of transformation, this destruction or transformation. Actually, there is no destruction. Things just change from one energy, just changes from one form to another. So we use the fire to cook our food and it, transforms the food and makes it available so we can assimilate it. And then the fires of the belly, they transform the food further so that it's metabolized and turned into us. This is Shiva. 
Okay, so this process, and in the world we see that here we are, we're created, and have we ever stayed the same exact way from day to day, much less from year to year or decade to decade? No, we are created, and then we change. And the process of creation is change, and this is Shiva. So, so some relate to this process and this reality, Shiva. Om Namah Shivaya. Om Namah Shivaya. Thank you. Thank you, Shiva. Uh, and Ram. Rama is the is the one of the incarnations of Vishnu. And it's said that Vishnu is the god of that 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 maintains everything. It's the one that keeps the keeps harmony and balance and keeps everything moving harmoniously. So Vishnu is uh, said to be floating on a raft on the Milky Sea. And as he floats on this raft on the Milky Sea, he's being taken care of by his consort, Lakshmi. And and he is taking a nap. He's resting. So he sleeps there on this raft. And as he sleeps, he dreams. And his dream is this reality. So we are we are the dream of God. We are part of God's dream part of god's play lila and so we can have a relationship with the the preserver the nurturing preserving aspect of the universe as vishnu or ram 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 sri ram jai ram jai jai ram see and it's just a just a way of connecting a way of connecting or ganesh there is uh there is the elephant-headed god ganesh Ganesh represents wisdom, the intellect, and he has this this great belly. So, like the elephant, he never forgets. And the great belly represents the the entire universe contained within within him. And uh, and usually he's represented as having one of his tusks are broken off and being held in one hand. And this represents his sacrifice. And it said, with this tusk, he wrote the Bhagavad Gita wrote the scripture for us and his trunk is curled down usually in another hand has a bowl with sweets in it and so this represents the sweetness of life and he has four hands so he has another hand that has a a goad that is something to push the obstacles out of the way and the other hand has a lasso to pull the obstacles out of the way so he represents wisdom and of course if we are wise then we find ways to push the art to move around the obstacles the obstacles are removed from our path because we're wise and we're seeing exactly what's happening we're conscious and so ganesha represents you know is this wonderful wonderful uh, character that represents wisdom the remover of obstacles the bringer of success and prosperity this is ganesh so we say om gan ganapatiye namaha om ganesh so, so any of these, you know, any form that we have like this that we can use can be a tool for us to help get a little grounded, a little centered, have a little ritual before we go into our meditation practice. What we're doing, what we aspire to do is to create tranquility in the mind, because when the mind is tranquil, when the mind is quiet, when the thoughts are really subside, it becomes much easier for us to move into our meditation practice. And so 
And so here we are creating this little ritual that helps bring our mind into the present right now, right here, right now in this moment, so that we're not thinking about what we're going to do next. We're not remembering what we did before. We have no, there's no conversation going on, no, no internal dialogue, no narration, which is another addiction. You know, the mind has this addiction to just talking to itself all the time. And so, so bringing our awareness and our attention into the moment right now, here and now. In, uh, in T.S. Eliot's uh, wonderful little poem, Burnt Norton, he says, time future and time past are all contained in time present. And so, and it's true. Future and the past are stories. They are, you know, they are imaginings. They are concepts. They are ideas. Life happens in the moment. Moment, 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 moment. Each moment, and each moment is a blessed opportunity to be awake. And you know how sometimes you get in the automobile and you say, I'm going to go to the store. I got to go pick up some spinach. So you get in the car and you pull out of the driveway. And the next thing you know, you're at the supermarket. You just pulled into the supermarket and you're getting out of the car and you think, you know, I don't remember even driving here. I don't remember what happened between my driveway and the parking lot. I was somewhere else. I was, you know, wool gathering, you know, whatever, whatever we do. But there's moments when we're just not particularly paying attention and we're missing our life. We're missing those moments. And so, so this practice gives us the ability to learn to focus our attention and to be present in the moment, to be fully present and to be present for, you know, whatever's happening. So as we turn our attention within, as, our, as we are able to create this environment of tranquility, so we have a tranquil mind, you know, quiet, and we're prepared to sit and to be even more quiet, even more tranquil. Um, this really helps to support our meditation process. And of course, as we, and we'll talk some more later this week, but um, our Kriya Yoga practice is more than just meditation. It's our whole life. And so we also are, um, our spiritual path is about creating a life that supports tranquility of mind. So we should have tranquility all the time. We should never be ruffled and never be pushed off off center one way or the other. Yes, things happen. Yes, we have to respond to the things that are happening. But when we become grounded in the awareness that we are really spiritual beings and that this whole world and all this is Vishnu's dream. I, I by the way, my personal, I don't, I don't relate directly to Vishnu. Mine is, my uh, connection with the ultimate reality is the big dreamer. So I wake up in the morning and I say, thank you, big dreamer. I have another day. I'm alive. Wow. Wonderful. Um, so as we go through our day, we should be grounded in this awareness that we are spiritual beings and the universe that we're involved with, the environment, the other individuals, everybody is part of the same drama, part of the same little dream. They're not separate. They're not, there are no... Um, you know, evil forces out there that are trying to get us. There are people who are really confused and there are people who, you know, are very unkind and, and very, uh, uh, very ignorant. Um, 
And so we don't have to condone that, but at the same time, we have to recognize that they're also an expression of God. That's also a divine, perfect spiritual being. It just has been so enchanted, you know, is, is so under a spell of confusion that they think this inappropriate behavior is uh, somehow justified. So we have to, instead of, instead of coming to turn, you know, coming to heads with them, instead of becoming confrontational, much better that we pray for them to wake up. And we pray for them to, to find that place in themselves where peace and harmony exists. Because I promise you, every one of those people you see out there that's confrontational and that's manipulative and that is controlling, all that, inside they live in hell. They ha inside their consciousness is, is it's, it's an unimaginably terrible place to be. And so we have compassion for that. Wow, what suffering. You, know, you ask yourself, how much, how must, how must somebody be wired up? What must it be like to live inside of a mind that does some of those crazy things? So we develop our compassion and we see not that we need to react to the circumstances and events, but that we can respond consciously, mindfully, and not be pushed around, not be put off center by the things that are happening out here. And the world is a lot of, you know, we're, Shiva's dancing, so the world is going through some really interesting transformation right now. It's becoming a new thing, and in the middle of becoming a new thing, there's always a lot of chaos and a lot of uncertainty, and there's no way to predict where it's going. And so, so we just have to come back and say, okay, it's okay. All right, it's going to work out. And then look in this moment, not thinking about how crazy is it going to be next year or next month. In this moment, I just look and say, well, what's my life like? And what can I do right now that'll be good for myself? Because I have to take care of myself first. If I don't have respect and I'm not nurturing and taking care of myself, then there's nothing I can do out there. So I ask, what can I do for myself that'll be useful and supportive so I can be healthy and functional and bright and think clearly? What can I do for myself? And then what's the next thing I can do that's useful? You know, what's the next positive, useful thing I can do? Uh, you know, in a few minutes, it's going to be making lunch for me, <laughs> for some of you, dinner. Um, uh, or maybe it's getting some exercise, taking a walk. Or maybe it's calling a friend and cheering them up, you know. When was the last time you talked to mom? Or... Uh, you know, something that you can do right now in this moment that you're alive and you're making a contribution. So, and if it's, and if we have, it's, it's time to go to our job, if it's time to go to work, then we want to do that and we want to be bright and enthusiastic and see this as an opportunity to contribute no matter what it is that we do. You know, it's useful. Everything needs to be done. There's seven and a half billion people on this planet and every one of them is making a contribution in some way. And every part of that is important. You know, we are connected to all those people. We communicate, you know, this takes the whole world to make everything work. It includes the janitor that has to sweep the floor, you know, the, the, the person that's running the cash register at the grocery store, the people that are stocking the shelves, all these things have to happen. Otherwise, it doesn't work. The system has this 
this order built into it and this intelligence and nobody's in charge but it's working and we're all intimately interconnected see we are all relying on the farmer to grow our food and the, you know and the plantation down in hawaii that's uh, growing the coffee that i enjoy my kona coffee um and and all this stuff has all come together for us and, and of course we have a, a responsibility too and that is to make a contribution to, to give something back so we are participating in this interactive amazing drama that is life and to the degree that we can uh, do this in a harmonious way and create tranquility in our mind then this supports our meditation because when we sit to meditate we're not going to be stressed out and distracted and upset and worried and anxious you know we can just be kind of okay kind of cool and and then when we're finished with our meditation the fact that we've tuned into our essence to our our soul nature this gives us the ability to be a little bit more grounded during the day when we're interacting with people to be reminded oh yes my nature is really uncool you know i'm the observer of this whole drama and i observe my mind reacting pushing these buttons you know if you ever looked at the some of the studies they've done with um neurology in the brain and they it, there's an interesting interesting fact and that is that the brain itself doesn't have any receptors for pain and so this means that that they can actually open up the brain they can actually you know open up the skull and have the person be conscious have the patient be fully conscious and they can go in with a probe a little electrical probe and they can touch different parts of the brain and when they touch different parts of the brain it either elicits a memory the person goes wow it's like i'm sitting here with grandpa at dinner you know i mean just absolute total memory of this or gosh i just got this really strong smell of tapioca pudding mm, you know sounds good um by just touching a different place pushing a different button we turn on this whole response in the brain and so uh, so in the same way, you know, the, the, the things, the circumstances and events that are happening around us are pushing these buttons, eliciting these responses from us. Unless we are, unless we are the monitor, unless we're sitting there kind of on top of the whole thing and going, oh yeah, look at that, and this is not appropriate, and look, I'm really getting angry about this situation. And that means that there's been a button push. Somehow I'm, I'm connected up with an app inside me that's an anger app, and it gets activated when this situation happens. So if I notice that, I can go, okay, I'm going to just turn that app off. I'm not going to allow this conditioning to determine how I feel, to determine my moods, to create this anger and upset, and to be reactive all the time, reacting to what's going on instead of responding to respond is to see what's doing going on and then take appropriate action see? and so and so in this way we can bring ourselves you know we can pay attention to ourselves so that we become more and more tranquil grounded content peaceful in our day-to-day -day life all the time and when we're not we can notice that and go oh, okay there's, you know, there's still some stuff I've got to work on here. And so I do, 
and I don't beat myself up about the fact that that I do make mistakes and that things that you know there are still reactive patterns, but I notice them so that I can start to take control and start to neutralize and learn to be tranquil all the time, right? And we can do this. You know, we can be tranquil. Um, in the Yoga Sutras, Patanjali says um, that we can create tranquility of thought by uh, by being friendly. So we want to be friendly with everyone that you know will allow us to be friends. Remember my stepson when he was uh, um, five years old, he would just go up to people and say, "You want to be my friend?" Hmm? Wow, cool. So we can be friendly. We can be compassionate. That is, we compassion means that we're able to sense what other people are experiencing. We can put ourselves in their shoes. And so when somebody is uh, you know, when, when when there's someone who we get along with that we really resonate with, we don't need to be compassionate. We just hang out. But when someone has a problem or when someone's suffering or when someone's acting out, you know, at this point, we have to we can we can just step back and go, wow, what is, must it be like that? And and to open our heart and send some some energy, send some love, send some blessing to help relieve that. There may be nothing we can do practically in the world, but we can always work in consciousness. And because our consciousness is connected with everyone's consciousness, just that opening, just allowing ourselves to feel that person waking up, lightening up, letting go a little bit, that can be helping, helpful. <clears throat> okay. So, and then, uh, and then joy in others' good fortune. That is when other people have good fortune when something good happens we're happy for them we don't we're not resentful we're not uh you know envious oh gosh that happened i wish i could have that or you know i deserve more than they deserve or whenever anything happens that's nice for somebody else we should go yes great wonderful the universe is supportive and nurturing and it's wonderful to see this manifesting anywhere in my life or in your life or in anyone's life, great. So we can learn to be to be joyful and to be happy for others all the time. And then we can uh, we can learn to be dispassionate, that is, that we're not uh, affected by pleasure and pain, by good and bad. We're able to kind of keep that neutral ground. And it's not that we don't experience pleasure, of course we do. And it's not that we don't experience pain. If we're alive in a body, this happens. But we can experience it without without being um, so, so totally enchanted by it that it takes us over, that it possesses us. So we can have this little bit of dispassion and we say, oh, well, that's, that's nice. That's very pleasant. And wow, I, I can't wait for that to go away, you know. But But we don't have to be upset by it. So this is being dispassionate and and then finally um uh, uh virtue and vice that is good things and bad things the wonderful things that happen and the terrible things that happen we can be dispassionate we can look at that and go wow it's very interesting and some things are are interesting in a very nice way and some things are interesting in in, in a terrible way and right now we're having some some of the terrible, interesting things happening is, you know, it's kind of blowing up all over and the astrologers say, well, you know, we've got, you know, some Mars and Saturn and this and that. And so, 
you know, it's going to be like this for another couple of months. And uh, so if we know that, say, okay, then I'm not going to go get in the middle of it. I'm just going to keep my head down, do what I can do, work on myself, stay happy and peaceful and make that contribution to the universe and, and know that this too will pass away and that this transformative time, transitional time, um, is moving in the direction of a better life, a better world, a better, a better way for everyone. So, and so as we come out of this, it will, we will see improvements. The world is not going to completely change and everybody's going to be hugging and singing Kumbaya around the campfire, but there are progressive, um, um, or progressive unfoldments and evolution um, that are happening that are in a very positive, positive way that are coming out of this. So, um, so it'll take, you know, we're going to be in the middle of this transformative phase for several years, but right now it's kind of the really intense part. So, so don't be reactive, you know, don't be fearful. Don't be anxious. Don't be worried. Just ask yourself, well, what's the next practical thing that I can do to help myself? to help my neighbors, my family, the, the immediate environment. What can I do in a practical way that will help cheer things up, lighten things up, bring some harmony, some peace, some joy, and that way I can make a contribution. See? So we, we open our heart, that is not the physical heart, but the essence of our being, the part where we feel connected. We open that and allow ourselves to express ourselves in that way. So. So this is all, you know, this tranquility of mind helps to support our meditation. Our meditation then helps to support our tranquility. And so then as we sit to meditate, um, we simply allow ourselves, as we have this morning, as we have been doing, allow ourselves to relax, to uh, uh, chant Om a few times. This can always be good if we're in a place where that's okay. We're not going to bother someone. And... Uh, and then acknowledge ultimate reality, acknowledge God and our relationship with that, and acknowledge the saints and the, the teachers that have led us to this point and whose consciousness also continues to help support us as we tune in to these enlightened beings, as we tune in to Mr. Davis and our gurus, there's actually a, an energy um, shakti a power that goes along with their consciousness that we tune into and we have access to and so it's very subtle but it's also very real so we acknowledge our our mentors our teachers and then we simply allow ourselves to bring our attention our awareness focus up here flow our attention in and then open our mind to the infinite what you know what does it feel like to be infinite hmm. I can't figure this out. I can't think about this. This is not a concept. This is an experience. So I need to have the experience. And what gets in the way of having the experience is thinking about having it. I have to stop thinking about it and just have the intention. Open and look and listen and, you know, be, have a, an attitude of expectation and see what happens, see what unfolds. So we are, we are on this inner journey of exploration. And we are explorers of our own consciousness. So then we sit in meditation and stay focused and keep our attention coming back to focus if we notice that we're drifting. And then at the conclusion, it's always useful for us to 
to take the whatever peace we have, whatever contentment, whatever grounding we have from our meditation at the end, and to send a blessing and to share that out with the world, to, to radiate goodwill. So this is good. It's, it's good for the world and it's good for us. So that's the, that's the, the recommendation for our meditation practice. And gosh, that's a lot. Um, so do we have any questions about this? Uh, I mean, this is, I know it's pretty much review, but it, sometimes it's good to go back over the basics. And if no questions, then wonderful. Go out and have a wonderful rest of your day and be joyful.